welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man. This is your host, Ken Mossman, and today I'm joined for part one of my conversation with Fire Chief Outdoor Educator and Rabbi Howard Cohn. Now, those are just three of Howard's roles, and there's a lot to his story, obviously. And in this first part of our conversation, Howard talks about his formative years spent in the ice rink, where he learned about life, about relationships, and of course, learning to drive a Zamboni. Howard digs into the importance of a chain of command and, of course, the value of teamwork, not just as a hockey player, but, of course, as a firefighter and so much more. There's a lot uh, to Howard's story, and if I do say so myself, it's pretty darn delightful. So enjoy this conversation with Howard Cohn. And just before we get into it, uh, just a quick reminder, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. And be sure to check out my website, cirrusleadership.com, for upcoming classes and, of course, to uh, check out my weekly newsletter. And with that, let's dig into Howard's story. Enjoy. Welcome, Howard. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Yeah. It was fun. So, Looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you. So am I. Uh, imagining we're going to hear some good stories. So uh, so let's start here. What was it like growing up in your part of the world? So I, I grew up out just outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I, um, there was, it was a pretty tight knit family. My mom, my, my grandma, my mom's mother was one of four sisters and three of the four lived in St. Louis. So I had a lot of cousins. In fact, it was kind of a joke, uh, because so many people seem to be, uh, are my cousins that people would say, like, everybody, your cousin here. Um, but we, it was, it was fun. It was, you know, we, it was a t- tight group of people, um, uh, typical suburban, you know, community. Um, um, I, my parents moved out of the house that I was raised in and, uh, I was, I guess they moved in there when I was about a year and a half old and they moved out about, about 50 some odd years later. So they lived there a long time, the same neighborhood. It was a, you know, I, you go back and see people that I grew up with and or that whose kids I grew up with it's still there um, my 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 family was very involved with our our uh, a local synagogue and so there was a lot of connections to people through that world I myself was very involved with uh, living in an ice rink my I became a, a hockey rat a rink rat you know uh, basically from the age of about 12 until I was 18 uh, that was typically where you would find me was in the ice rink. Had all my, you know, important, significant first time adolescent experiences in the ice rink. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, life was life was good. Um, I still have a, my parents are still alive. Uh, my dad's ninety will be ninety six soon, and my mom will be ninety three. My and I have a sister who still lives in St. Louis. Most of the cousins have long since scattered. And so that sense of the tight family is uh, not there anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, a pretty uneventful, you know, life growing up. Uh, it was fun. You know, went to a good high school. Uh, had, had a lot of fun. Wasn't, uh, so, yeah, uh, pretty pretty ordinary experience. Well, I'm kind of curious because when uh, 
I may be alone in this, but when I think of St. Louis, I don't automatically go, oh, hockey town. You know, what was it that what, what was it that led you to to the ice rink in the first place? Uh, well, it's a it's a very easy. <laughs> the blues. You know, I, I was I was a kid. I guess I was maybe, I don't know. Ten or eleven when the blues, the, the franchise, you know, the NHL expanded. And so all of a sudden with the blues became a hockey craze. Uh, ice rinks opened up. Everybody was playing hockey. Uh, and the blues, the, the, the blues were contenders in their first couple of years. They made it to the Stanley Cup playoffs, although they, they always got wiped out. Um, but uh, so um, that's pretty much, you know, it's one of those things. It was just a timing thing. It's just the right place at the right time. That Having said that, St. Louis was the, uh, uh, the hometown for a, um, a professional team maybe in the 50s or something like that. I can't remember exactly. So there was a history of hockey in the town. But for me, it was just like the Blues came and all of a sudden hockey became, you know, it took over my life. And that was the thing. And you said you had, you also mentioned, you know, all, all, all the experiences one has as an adolescent happened on the, on the, in the ice rink. So give an example of one or two that, you know, formative ice rink experiences, perhaps. Uh, well, okay. So, so my, my first job was in the ice rink. My first real job, I was a, you know, a, a guard, you know, a rink guard, you know, telling the kids and people to slow down. Uh, I, I learned how to drive a stick shift on a Zamboni. Uh, <laughs> as, my, as most uh, everyone does. <laughs> uh, my, my first two girlfriends came out of uh, relationships that developed in the ice rink along with my first two, you know, experience, girlfriend experiences. Won't go into too many details there, but, uh, you know, uh, suffice it to say, it's, uh, um, it's, it's what a, you know, a teenage boy does with a teenage girl. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like what I mean. You know, I learned, you know, my world expanded. I was interacting with kids who didn't, who weren't from my neighborhood or weren't from my high school. And I learned work ethics. I still think back to a couple of people I worked with. Uh, I only remember one of one person's name, but my first, my very first boss was a guy named Tom Cassidy, um, and uh, he was just a great guy. I, I learned a lot of, you know, I, I guess he shaped some of my work ethics. Um, kind of a kind of a funny story. Uh, so last uh, last spring, uh, a junior firefighter and a, a student of mine. Asked, asked me to write him a recommendation if he was uh, going for his Eagle project, for Eagle Award. And so I, I was doing some coaching with him along those lines and some work with, in the fire department. And then he asked me to, to speak at his Eagle uh, presentation. And just coincidentally, I was going through a box of old things, and I found the letter that Tom Cassidy wrote for me when I was going to apply for my Eagle Award. Uh, I, I didn't get it because I, I went, I left the country. I, I spent my senior year of high school overseas, so I, I couldn't. You have to be under 18, and I didn't have it get done in time. But it was just kind of funny. So that's 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 something that could, you know, the just he was a great influence. And then there was this other guy who uh, his his he would always take, pick up any hours that, that that somebody was supposed to have but didn't want to have. And his theory was, I'm going to work as much as I can now, so when I'm you know, I could retire early. And, and 
and I just it just struck me. It's like, well, it's, that's a, that's a perspective. <laughs> uh, one of which I would say nobody ever said on the deathbed. I wish I spent more time working. So yeah, uh, and I don't know what happened to him. But the other, uh, since you're asking asked about the ice rink stories, there was this uh, this young woman who who was madly in love with him, and she just could not get his attention because he was just so focused on. I'm just going to be serious and work. And she just, and we were trying to get him like, Hey, she's like madly in love with you. Open up your eyes. Uh, so that was all part of the, the, the my ice rink, my, my hockey, my ice rink years. Uh, I uh, sk- arranged my schedule at school so that I could, I could go, I could be at the ice rink, you know, every afternoon for a couple of hours skating. Uh, Nine o'clock at night. Uh, if anybody was looking for an extra player on the team or a referee, they, I'd get a call and it's like, Hey, how are you free to come, uh, you know, we need an extra player or something. I, I'd, I'd roll over from doing my homework and look at my dad and say, Hey, do you mind if I go? And he's like, you get your homework done. And I'm like, Oh yeah, it was always done. <laughs> <And I'll> <laughs> <go>. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm curious if you look at the, um, you know, lessons and you, 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 you've mentioned, you've mentioned already, you've mentioned firefighting and uh, there's a lot, I know there's a lot to the story, um, but particular uh, lessons that you learned um, aside from driving a stick, particular lessons that you learned at the rink that continue to echo to this day. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I quoted my high school hockey coach yesterday with some of my, um, my firefighters. Uh, so, so my high school coach uh, was, he's, he was the first, I don't know, if he was the first American in, inducted, inducted into the um, NHL Hockey Hall of Fame. Wow. Uh, so um, big, powerful man, uh, great coach. Uh, but his style was if you were a first line player, you barely ever did anything right. And he yelled at you constantly. And he, I mean, yelled on, at you on the ice, telling you what to do. Second, second line players, pretty similar. Third line players, not very much. Fourth line players, everything was always a nice job. So you're skating down the ice and you hear Coach Olson bellow out, go and shoot the puck, right? You get off the ice and he comes up behind you and goes, Cohen, did you score? No, sir, because you didn't answer him any other way. He said, well, then listen to me next time. What what I learned from that um, that translates into into the fire service is chain of command. Mm. You, you you have to listen to you know the person people who are you know you have to listen you have to follow the direction of the chain of command. Uh, so one day one of the guys in the team talked back to him. The coach and the player got up walked off the bench into the locker room. We don't know what happened. But this this kid came back, kid who who never cries, never ha- you know, never never looks sad. Came back, head hung low, and um, you know the lesson was clear. You listen to the chain of command. So we were talking, my some of my colleagues uh, about problems we're having with some of our firefighters not not following directions, and that's that's a really serious problem in the fire world. There's a whole term for it uh, it's called going rogue, and um, it totally breaks down the chain of command. You can lose firefighters. You could lose, you could put all kinds of people in risk. And so it's really important that you follow the chain of command. And we're, you know, we were talking about this and we we're talking about the seriousness. And I told him the story 
of Coach Olson, chain of command. You listen to what Coach says. You listen to the, you know, if the chief says this is what you do, you do what the chief says. You know, and if you have a problem with it, you talk to the chief privately. But it's that sense of chain of command was something important. Uh, the other thing that I learned that was that was has been a lifelong lesson is the value of teamwork. Um, you know, and that goes to the to the rogue firefighter too. You you know, there's all kinds of you know, you know easier to lift a heavy stone, something heavy with a lot of people than by yourself. But it, it was about teamwork and about the camaraderie of really of bonding and working working closely with people, uh, executing plans that you worked on. The satisfaction that comes from that, the satisfaction of knowing that someone can count on you, that you can count on other people. That's all part of the whole the, the ethos of, of of good team experiences. Um, not about winning. Winning's nice, uh, but it's really it's like. You know, if you play well and you lose, you don't feel bad. You know, like if you feel like we played great, but they played better. Or, or you know, we hit the post and it bounced off. They hit the post and it bounced in. You know, that's a tough break. But when you play badly or you don't play as a team well, that that affects, that's a different feeling. So that, that's a lesson that's carried through through life. It's the importance of all the players on the team. It's the, it's the importance of having depth of bench. Um, I haven't used the hockey metaphors for a while, but you know it's great to have a good first line, but they can't do it all. So it's, when you're in a, working in an organization, it's great to have people who are, who are really good at some stuff, but if, if if the rest of the team, the rest of the players, people you're interacting with can't be counted on or don't take the job seriously or can't be trusted, it, it undermines the whole the whole you know infrastructure of the the group, the organization, the congregation. So that, those are all lessons I took from my, my hockey days. Hi, I hope you're enjoying the conversation. Just a quick reminder, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. Let's get back into it. I love the the irony, if you will, of taking lessons from ice and applying them to fire. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably not the first one who's mentioned that. And uh, hockey doesn't come up very much anymore in my life these days. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, you know, because we've got fire and ice in the room already, yeah. metaphorically speaking, what what was it that led you to firefighting? <laughs> uh, well, uh, Jim Jim Kenyon, otherwise known as as uh, as Bugsy. Uh, so I was working as the rabbi at a congregation Bethel in Bennington, Vermont. Uh, um, you know, there's a whole, there's several chapters in between the years I played hockey and <laughs> ended up in, in the fire service. So uh, the community was building something called a community built park. It literally was a community built park. And uh, Jim and I, uh, we were building picnic tables together. And it, and it was the end of the whole process. And uh, we're sitting there drilling, you know, screwing on our bolts, drilling this, this, this table, this table together, talking, having a good time. Meanwhile, the people are gathering for the uh, for, for the opening ceremony, and he and I are, you know, working harder and harder. And then um, 9/11 happened, mm. and I get a call from the chief of the fire department at that time, and he said, "Hey, we're looking for a chaplain. We don't really have one. If you remember, there was a there was a." Um, 
a chaplain who died in 9-11. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Vivid recollection of the photograph. Yeah, it made, it made yeah. a lot of news. And so, so they said, we're, we're looking for a chaplain. Would you, which you don't really have him. Would you be interested? Um, and I, I laughed and I said, sure, but you, you know, I'm a rabbi and I'm, you know, not that that may necessarily matter, but just so you know, and they laughed and said, that's okay. Uh, we're not very religious anyway. <laughs> so I said, I said, I'll do it, but uh, I'm the condition that I can train to be a regular firefighter. And of course, being a volunteer fire department, they all, you know, chuckled and said, yeah, sure. Okay. So that's how it started. And um, over the years, uh, you know, I took more courses, did more training, continued to be maintain my involvement, retired from the congregation, um, left the area for a couple of years, came back, got back involved with the fire department. Uh, and, you know, I, I did a lot of training. I mean, this past year alone, I did almost 60 hours of, of fire service related training, specifically fire service related training. So I, I became firefighter level one and firefighter level two, and then fire instructor one and just working up the, the, the chain of command, as it were. But um, the way things are in this department, oh, it was about, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, we were electing officers for our company. And the company, guys in my company, said, well, Howard, we've all done the second lieutenant's job, so it's your turn. And I laughed and said, you don't care if I'm qualified? Ah, that's all right, you'll be second lieutenant. <laughs> so that's how I moved. I became you know, an officer. Um, but the, the more I, I was in the position of being an officer, the more I needed to study because I don't know about the other guys, but like I go to bed every night now as a deputy chief and I think I, there's a good chance I'm going to be woken up in the middle of the night and have to make a decision that could put someone's life right. you know, on the line. And um, I, I, I take very seriously something I, I learned from a, a state trooper who said, we don't rise to the occasion, we fall back on our training. And so um, that, that kind of more than more of an answer to your question, but that's how it came about. I, I was invited to become the chaplain, I agreed to do it. And over the years, and I came to really like being in the fire service, there is a lot of, ironically, there's a lot of similarities between it and the hockey world, but also congregational life. Um, the, yeah, which um, leads to it, which, which actually leads to another question because you said a lot of things happened between a lot of things happened between uh, between hockey and the world of of firefighting, and I'd be remiss if we didn't if we didn't jump in and fill in some of those blanks there because <laughs> you know a, a hockey player uh, ha had involvement with a with a with a synagogue in in St. Louis growing up. And somehow or other, you made your way into be, be, to becoming a rabbi. So, yeah, walk us, walk us, yeah, through that, uh, Howard. <laughs> okay, so so here here's the standard line when people ask me how I became a rabbi. Uh, my dad is a retired podiatrist. My dad's brother is a retired podiatrist, and I have two cousins who are podiatrists. I misspelled soul when I was doing career counseling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bad joke, right? That, bump. That, oh. That's a great dad joke, though. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. And it goes hand in hand with, with, with the other one that goes along in our family, and that's the feet running our family. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I can, uh, I can hear the groans in the distance as people are listening to this. <laughs> that's good, you know. That, you know, that, that keeps them awake. Mm. Uh, so uh, here, here's what happened. I, I was um, 
by by a kind of a by chance and a quirk of events, I realized that I could graduate high school a year early, mm. or at least leave high school a year early. So I made arrangements with a, um, a college coach in St. Louis to go and live the, the, my what would be my senior year with a family in, in uh, Canada and play hockey. So I went to my school, my high school, and I said, here's my plan for what I want to do instead of being at school. And they said, nah, we won't let you do that. So I said, well, okay, I don't, I don't want to just hang out. And so I, and instead I went to Israel for the year. Mm. And I came back from Israel. And Which is a lot like Canada in so many ways. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, very, very much. Yeah, right. Ice rinks everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, well, you know, the... Trying to be diversified in my interests, right? So, uh, so I came back. I played for another year post high school, but I also started college. And my, I, I was declared I was a pre vet. I was going to be a biology major, pre vet. My first class on my first day was a philosophy of religion class, mm. and it was all about talking about God. Uh, I never took a biology class in, in college. <laughs> Ended up with a degree in philosophy. Um, and very much, very much influenced by uh, Professor Costello, who I took number numerous classes with. It was the, that first professor. Um, and where I, and where I, were you? Where uh, were you? At this is St. Louis. And I, I started at the University of Missouri at St. Louis. I graduated from the University of Minnesota in uh, the Twin Cities. Mm. Uh, there's a hockey connection to that too. I'll, if you want, I'll tell you. Um, but anyway. Um, uh, so I started studying philosophy of religion, and I actually started doing well in school, so much so that my mom said to me at one point, gee, you know, you're really doing fine in school. If uh, you want to go away someplace else, like to a more expensive school, because University of Missouri-St. Louis was a commuter school. Uh, it was also a new college, and I, I kind of laughed because uh, she was noticing that I was being more interested in school and less interested in playing hockey. Um, but, uh, two, I, I also just want to point out University of Missouri, St. Louis was a new school it was established as a commuter school. So therefore it, it didn't have all the expenses of board stuff, but it was a very good school. In fact, my oldest sister was a graduate from there and she's a very brilliant woman. So I, I don't want to make it sound like it was not a, a, a um, you know, a, a quality school. That aside, uh, I ended up going, transferring to the University of Minnesota and, played with the idea of maybe I could be a walk-on at the University of Minnesota's hockey team. Mm -hmm. That team was coached by Herbie Brooks. It went on to win the Olympics. <laughs> 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 that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, so I studied philosophy, but I also had this, I really, um, I, I had a love of and a fantasy about being an outdoor educator. Yeah. So when I, um, by the time I graduated from the University of Minnesota with my degree in philosophy, I had uh, started working in outdoor education and then went to work for Outward Bound and started in Minnesota. Um, I had a childhood fantasy of being a canoe guide, wilderness canoe guide, and that led me to, to Minnesota. And I, I worked for Outward Bound in Minnesota, two schools in, in England, uh, a school in Florida, and then the Hurricane, Hurricane Allen Outward Bound School in Maine for uh, some total of 10 years. Um, I worked primarily with at-risk and delinquent youth um, and worked up the, uh, the, the chain of command from being an, an instructor in the field to a course director to a program director and um, you know, 
developing programs uh, for kids and working with the kids at risk kids. Um, and then, uh, you know, um, it just became time to make a change. And I was looking back over what I was, what I was doing, what I liked to do. I liked to teach, but I didn't want to be a classroom teacher. Mm-hmm. I liked working with people in a helping uh, profession, but I didn't want to be uh, just a therapist per se. And I was reflecting back on my experiences as a child growing up uh, in, um, you know, in the, in the Jewish world and the religious world. I thought, you know, you work with a congregation, you're working with people, you know, good times, bad times, it's holistic. You work with kids, you work with the adults, you work with the grandparents, um, you know, you're grappling with sort of existential issues, theological issues. And so I, I started thinking about rabbinical school. Uh, and at the time, when I first started thinking about it, I couldn't see a path because the paths that, that I was aware of were not ones that would work for me. And then I became, I, I learned about Reconstructionism and that, uh, that was my pathway into becoming a rabbi. Thank you so much for joining me here on Mojo for the Modern Man for this first half of my conversation with the irrepressible Howard Cohen. And we'll be back with the second half of that conversation in another week. If you want to reach Howard, there's contact information on the program notes. And of course, I encourage you to reach out to me as well. And you can do that on my website, Cirrus, as in the cloud, C-I-R-R-U-S Leadership. Dot com. Swing by there, check out my classes. There's one starting up uh, soon, if you're listening to this before the 16th of March, 2021. And, of course, uh, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter, as well as contact me via email through the website. And just a reminder, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. Take care, make it a great day, and be well.